going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Happy hump day, everybody. It is a Wednesday. Glad to be along with you on the drive home. We're going to start things off uh, a little bit of a contextual piece to start things off. We're going to go through some of the audio tidbits in longer form surrounding the latest when it comes to Mark Norman. I know a lot of people are sitting there going, how does this have to do with Calgary? It's still, we're in a federal election campaign. As much as everybody's saying, nah, 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 the writ hasn't dropped yet. This is no different than the provincial election campaign. We are in it, so get ready for, I'm not going to focus a lot on it, but at the same time, there are some stories that need to be talked about in this Certainly is one. So we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit at length in just uh, a few minutes here. We're also going to chat after 430 about the Stampede Grandstand Show. Big announcement today. Trailblazer is what it's called. The producer of the Grandstand Show. Someone who's been around the Grandstand Show for 25 years now. Dave Pierce is going to join us after 430 to talk about his vision for this, which has been going on now for about 16 months, apparently. He says it's gone a long way since when he first started and it was, you know, put something together three or four months beforehand. No, this is, they're already thinking about 2020. They're already well into the planning for 2020. But he's got to now put all the plans in place for 2019. And Dave Pierce is going to join us after 4.30 to talk more about that. After 5 o'clock, Calgary's Urban Farm, the Compost Council of Canada, has entered into a partnership with the City of Calgary to turn a city-owned vacant lot into an urban farm. Mike Dorian from the Compost Council of Canada is going to join us to talk about the vision for that plot of land on Highland Crescent Southeast. It's a 15-acre plot, and the hope is to produce some healthy, fresh food. How's that all going to get to your plate? We'll talk to Mike about that. And I'm looking forward to our last guest of the day. Uh, Right around 5.40 this afternoon, we're going to be joined by Griffin and Claudine Adlington. Now, Griffin goes to New Heights School here in Calgary. He's autistic, but he's managed to find his love at the age of seven for art. And let me tell you, I saw one of his art pieces. He did a little fundraiser, from what I understand, to help out, make some money. He loves Lightning McQueen. And I love telling stories about people who uh, manage to find their, their passion And at seven years old, it's a pretty cool story. Looking forward to our chat with Claudine and Griffin Adlington after 5.30. And this is Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. It has been a day in federal politics, to say the very least. And it's all thanks to a story that started to come out late yesterday. Vice Admiral Mark Norman now says he wants to return to work as soon as possible now that his criminal case is over. Federal prosecutors stayed charges against him this morning, saying they had no reasonable prospect of getting a conviction. Norman said he has served Canada for 38 years and he's looking forward to being reinstated. He was second in command of Canada's military before he was suspended and then charged with breach of trust over alleged leaks of secret information about a Navy shipbuilding contract. As mentioned, Vice Admiral Norman spoke with reporters this morning and here's just a snippet of what he had to say in his opening statement. I'm obviously pleased with the Crown's decision to stay the charges against me. 
While I'm relieved to be exonerated of any wrongdoing, I am disappointed it has taken this long. The alarming and protracted bias of perceived guilt across the senior levels of government has been quite damaging, and the emotional and financial impacts of this entire ordeal have taken their toll. I have an important story to tell that Canadians will want and need to hear. It is my intention in the coming days to tell that story, not to lay blame, but to ensure that we all learn from this experience. I would like to express my sincere appreciation for the support of Marie Hennen, Christine Mainville, and my entire legal team, some of whom are with us here today, for their wisdom and guidance. I could not have placed my and my family's life and future in better hands. Now, Norman was charged with trying to influence Cabinet's decision on a contract to lease a temporary naval support ship from a Quebec shipyard. Both the Crown and Norman's lawyers say there was no political interference involved in the decision to stay the complex legal charge. Here's more from his lawyer, Marie Hennine. Well, he, he's commented a number of times on this case, as you know, before it ever went into court. And as we now know, um, after our application uh, for third-party records was filed, uh, there were numerous comments made uh, from the PCO, anonymous sources, and the Treasury Board, anonymous sources, responding to our application that was proceeding in a court. A, a bit of an extraordinary event. I've certainly never uh, seen that uh, uh, occur. Uh, so there, to say there was a, an interest in this case uh, puts it mildly. Um, Vice Admiral Norman has been through a great deal. His family has been through a great deal. Uh, there is a ship, a supply ship, that is operational, on time, and under budget, thanks in part to Vice Admiral Norman. Uh, I think it's time to say sorry to him. There are lots of questions that need to be asked and answered about this whole process the last couple of years. Um, and I think some people who have been involved in this need to reflect on what happened and why it happened and their their role in that. Now, ultimately, they'll make whatever decision they they want or need to make. And uh, I, I would like to think that people are going to do the right thing. I like that. They're going to need to reflect. Trudeau liberals needing to reflect? I'll use a term that they like to use a lot of. Own their truth. Or, you know, in this case, it sounds like they're going to have to own their truth. And certainly the federal conservatives did their best in question period today to make sure that they get their message across. And it's pretty clear from leader Andrew Scheer. Mr. Speaker, the prime minister tried to interfere in a shipbuilding contract. And when he got caught, he tried to destroy the reputation and career of the person who stood up to him. We've seen this before, and it's a dangerous pattern with this government. Why is it that anyone who says no to this prime minister ends up with a target on their back? The Honorable Minister of Justice. 
Mr. Speaker, the prosecution in, in, in question was handled by the Public Prosecution Service of Canada, which operates independently from the Department of Justice and independently from my office. My office had no role whatsoever in the decision to seek a stay of proceedings. The decision belongs to the Director of Public Prosecutions alone. And the Director of Public Prosecutions has stated in February and repeated today that there was no contact or influence from outside the PPSC on either the initial decision to prosecute or the decision to stay the charge. Exactly. The Honourable Leader of the Opposition. But the lawyer for Mark Norman was quite clear that this government did impede this investigation by withholding important documents and facts. When it looked like the truth was going to try to come out in the SNC-Lavalin corruption scandal, the Prime Minister shut down the investigations. And when it looked like the truth in this scandal was going to come out, the Prime Minister tried to prevent a fair trial by withholding evidence and using delay tactics. So what is in those documents that this Prime Minister is so afraid of? Honourable Minister of Justice. Mr. Speaker, as I've stated a number of times in this House, the government has met all of its obligations with respect to third-party records applications during the course of the trial. All documents from priority individuals identified by the defense in February had already been provided to the court. Mr. Speaker, as I've said, it's the Public Prosecution Service of Canada that has, that has undertaken uh, the evaluation of the evidence of this case and the, and the prosecution of this trial, and is their decision. Now, like the pit bull that he is, Andrew Shear soldiered on. Mr. Speaker, Vice Admiral Mark Norman had the honor and integrity to face allegations against him himself. Exactly. The Prime Minister doesn't have the same fortitude or backbone. Yeah. Look at what Mark Norman's lawyer did say. She said, quote, there are times when you agree with what happens in a court and at times you don't, and that's fine. But what you don't do is you don't put your finger and try to weigh in on the scales of justice. That is not what should be happening. That's exactly what this government did in trying to block and obstruct evidence coming before that court. What is in those documents that this Prime Minister is so afraid of? The Honorable Minister of Justice. And the answer did go into French from the Justice Minister, David Lamedi. Fascinating. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who would normally be there for question period on Wednesday, was noticeably absent. The Conservatives didn't stop there. It was Mark Strahl's turn to go after David Lamedi. It is unbelievable that this Prime Minister can't bring himself to apologize for what he's done to Vice Admiral Norman, a man who has served our country with honour for decades. The Prime Minister seems to have no problem apologising for the actions of others, but when it comes to his own bad conduct, sorry seems to be the hardest word. Why did this Prime Minister have no problem apologising to a convicted terrorist, Omer Cotter, but can't bring himself to apologise to Vice Admiral Norman for the damage he's done to his career, his family and his reputation? Order. The 
Honorable Minister of Justice. Mr. Speaker, I obviously reject the premise of, of the Honorable Member's question. This country is all about the rule of law, Mr. Speaker. This country is about great institutions like the RCMP, like the, the Public Prosecution Service, which was a good thing, Mr. Speaker, started by the previous Conservative government in order to give independence to the prosecutorial decisions and the, and the uh, governance of, of prosecution proceedings in Canada. Mr. Speaker, that system worked well today. Don't just believe me. Believe uh, You can believe the, the lawyer for Admiral Norman, who said the rule of law worked. I kind of feel bad for David Lametti because he was basically given a, it seemed as though watching the ex- different exchanges between he and the conservatives and even Yagmeet Singh coming into the foray. I'll play that tape in just a little, in a couple of seconds here. But it felt like he was given a piece of paper. Here's your statement. And the prime minister was nowhere to be seen. Providing a little more context for those who are just hopping in the car and hadn't heard the story about Mark Norman and what had happened. So the opposition uh, conservatives don't appear to be convinced that the case against the vice admiral is actually closed. The Crown stayed its breach of trust case against Norman, but Conservative leader Andrew Scheer is questioning documents now the governing Liberals failed to provide to prosecutors. And he suggests the government's actions might have resulted in an unfair trial. Prosecutor Barb Mercier emphasized that there was never any political interference in the case. And we've played a little bit of the question period. I wanted to play one more clip from that, and that had to do with NDP leader Jagmeet Singh. Well, that runs contrary to what we've heard from Mark Norman's defense team. They raised serious concerns about Scott Bryson, about the Liberals' cozy relation with the Irvings companies, and about political interference directly from the Prime Minister's office. Mr. Speaker, sunshine is the best disinfectant. Canadians deserve the truth. So why is the Prime Minister refusing to hold an independent investigation into the Liberals' handling of this case. Minister of Justice. Mr. Speaker, the Director of Public Prosecution stated today, as she stated in February, that there was no contact or influence, including political influence, from outside the PPSC at either at either the step of the initial decision to uh, prosecute or the decision to stay the charge. Mr. Speaker, on this side of the House, we believe in our judicial institutions, we believe in our prosecutorial institutions, unlike the previous government, which had a record of interfering with the courts. Okay. Now, to be fair, as Rob rightly points out, uh, Rob Texter says they stayed the charge. It can be brought up next to a year later. So it wasn't dismissed. Absolutely. So this could come back at some point down the line. Will it is anyone's guess. As you heard from the vice admiral, he did say, I have a story to tell and I'm going to tell it. And I think a lot of Canadians deserve to know what exactly happened here. No different than the SNC-Lavalin debacle. And once again, you have this notion from the federal liberals that if we just stay quiet, it'll all go away. And they're not winning. And the proof is in the pudding when you look at what happened in the by-election in B.C. on Monday. We chatted about that with David Aiken yesterday. Is It's not a left versus right battle right now. It's more a left versus left versus left battle now. Because those who thought they might vote liberal are now looking at the body of work that has 
become the federal liberals over the last four years and went, okay, where do we get to? How far along are we? Are we actually, like, did we get any further ahead than we were under a federal conservative government? And the answer seems to be not really. And those on the left can't bring themselves to vote. They're not going to vote conservative, clearly. You would have thought that this would have been high time for the NDP. And yet they have sputtered and stuttered their way through every by-election thus far outside of their leader getting leader getting elected. And now those on the left are going, at least in BC, by the looks of it, maybe they're kicking some tires around going, maybe the Green Party's the way to go. Can't be any worse than what the Liberals have done. Especially here in Alberta. When you look at what has surrounded Kent Hare, when you look at what has surrounded, and even the last few days, Darshan Kang, I make no bones about it. I will be absolutely shocked if any of the seats in this province go anything other than conservative. But what remains the question is, what's the rest of the country thinking about this? I'll be curious to see how it all plays out. And even beyond that, especially when it comes to the Mark Norman case, the SNC-Lavalin case, what will Quebec voters and Ontario voters decide on? Dun, dun, dun. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. All right, we'll uh, turn our attention to a different story now and head on over to the Calgary Stampede. Big announcement today, the Grandstand Show being unveiled today. The producer is Dave Pierce, and it is all about bringing people together. Dave Pierce joining us now on the program. Uh, Thanks so much for the time. Hey, thanks. This is a pretty big deal in terms of just, I think, bringing... Uh, the past back to life maybe a little bit. Talk about Trailblazer and what you're envisioning and what your inspiration is for this show. Well, this is an exciting show. This is uh, uh, the first uh, Bell Grandstand show that we've Mm -hmm. had as a new sponsor. And so uh, it's certainly not the first Grandstand show that's ever been around. Uh, Last year we celebrated 50. And so uh, for the uh, 51st show being the first of the Bell Grandstand show, it's almost like we've turned the page. We've got a new chapter. It's the same uh, concept of show. I mean, like, there's only so far you can go doing an outdoor show for 18,000 people a night that has fireworks as a finale. But uh, looking at the young Canadians being involved, and the young Canadians are uh, uh, young people's troupe of uh, incredible singers and dancers. They start at age six, and there's over 100 of them on the stage, as well as... Uh, acrobats from around the world we have a gaucho cowboy group that was uh they starred on america's got talent they're coming from south america to perform and uh we've got an incredible ringmaster type uh character um in a local talent that we actually tracked down in new york um she's been performing there for quite a while her name is analia and she sews this whole thing up together with her band of pirates is what we call them the poly jesters which is a local band 
that uh, is so perfectly suited to the music of this show because it's fresh, it's new. And I say that, you know, it's it's a tough thing to outdo year to year um, because we've got the fireworks at the end and it's an outdoor show. It's at the Calgary Stampede. And uh, while I'm plugging everything, I'll say it's <laughs> July 4th to the 14th. But here's the thing. We start this show with a massive cattle drive on stage. And we had these inflatable cattle moving around the city today. And down at the uh, launch that we did at the, uh, at the core. And it was really, uh, it was so great to see the smiles that we're bringing to people's faces by seeing these crazy inflatable cows. And so we've got a whole show that starts with the cattle drive and it ends with the cattle drive. It's funny when you look back on, and even in the movie theaters, there's been a few movies like Dumbo's coming back, and you have some of those those big greatest show on earth, I think, was remade again, and you're seeing some of those old era sort of big sight shows being developed, and this sort of sounds like the same idea being put uh, on the grandstand stage. Well, I'll tell you, the the idea for this show came from the Wild West shows of 100 years ago. So in the 1900s, you know, right at the turn of the century, there was uh, a number of really uh, incredible traveling shows. The most famous of all was Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Right. And, and uh, every one of those shows was, first of all, uh, led by a male. And uh, we thought, you know, take a look at what this is. These Wild West shows of the 1900s. They would come into into the city or the town, and they'd have a parade, and then everyone would follow the parade over to the fairgrounds, and they'd have a rodeo, and then there'd be some sort of wagon race, and then a big show. And what I've just described there is pretty much the opening day of the Calgary Stampede to this day, um, where we have a parade, and then there's a rodeo, and chuck wagon races, and then our great big grandstand show. And so we looked at uh, some of those movies that you cited there, uh, you know, The Greatest Showman, for example, uh, it's more of a biopic in a way of uh, P.T. Barnum. And we mm-hmm. wanted to actually do something that, what if we took the concept of the Wild West show of the 1900s, but we did it with 2019. We've got the technology and Bell becoming involved has really helped us um, to push the uh, technology envelope. But also, let's make something that's a, a bit of a statement. And uh, so what about a Wild West show that's led by a woman? And uh, that was really, uh, it opened the doors to the concept of the name Trailblazer. And also, let's not call this uh, this leader a ringmaster or a cowboy or any of the things that are uh, leftovers from the uh, Wild West shows of the 1900s. Let's come up with a new name. And uh, once we had Trailblazer, then it made perfect sense that we would have our Trailblazer be on Aaliyah. You've been involved in this with now for about, what, 25 years in different capacities. Do you feel that pressure at all that you need to go one-up yourself year after year? Well, you know, being involved uh, creatively on on making a new show for the grandstand every year and I've, I've been involved on the team for, for 25 years, and I've been the, the lead for the last, uh, I don't know, five or six years now. And it's a, it's a great outlet. You know, it's, it's one of those things that we can celebrate as being so uniquely Calgary. If you're new to Calgary and uh, you hadn't seen the Grandstand show or even experienced the Calgary Stampede, this is the year to really get down and see what we have that's so uniquely Calgary. And it's a great outlet for uh, this creative team that I work with and as well as uh, kind of having this 
blank canvas every year. This, uh, this canvas of knowing that we've got a grandstand show and there's going to be people that come and see it. There's 18,000 people there a night, 20,000 people there a night. And, uh, but really what do I get to do each year? Um, when I, when I start thinking about, oh, what will the theme be? What will we do? It really comes from Calgarians and uh, walking around the city, going to see all of the other incredible um, arts events and comedy and, you know, everything that's happening in this city is, uh, it feeds what goes into the grandstand show each year. So, yes, it could be a bit of a statement of, of me, but it's just me growing up, having done 25 of these things. Um, I'm not jaded at all, I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. I get to a point where I find it's... Uh, it's really invigorating if you start thinking about being an artist that instead of paints on a canvas, I just happen to make a grandstand show. And uh, that's pretty cool. You, you sound pretty excited about uh, seeing this show finally come to fruition in just a couple of months here. Oh, I know. It's, I, I'll tell you, that's the craziest part is uh, we work for 16 months uh, is usually when we start ahead on these shows. So it it lives in my computer and on papers that are taped to the wall and it gets pretty crazy. And then finally today happens where we release it and uh, I start to see it go into rehearsals and it starts to come to life and it's a really exciting thing. So by the time we get to July 4th, when opening night happens, we, uh, we get to see something that has lived on paper for so long and creative ideas and, cocktail napkins and everything you know people <laughs> describing things with their hands and say oh it's going to be beautiful it's going to go like this and you have to picture that that would be fireworks over top of the uh, skyline of calgary <laughs> you know stuff like that uh it's really great to see it come to life and it's a really incredible experience being a calgarian that gets to see these things come to life for our city Absolutely. Dave, thanks so much for the time and all the best in the planning and preparation setting in a stampede. Hey, thank you so much. Again, Trailblazer is what this year's Grandstand show is called. Dave Pierce is the man who is going to be producing said show. And also, finally, I think today a bit of a relief as well, because now he doesn't have to hide behind the I'm working on something top secret kind of reason when he's talking to his friends and family. A lot of people getting ready to bring out their yard care uh, tools and get their green thumbs out, getting ready for uh, the new summer growing season. And one group in particular is going all out this time around. The Compost Council of Canada announcing they've partnered up with the city of Calgary to turn a city-owned vacant lot into an urban farm. Joining us from the Compost Council is Mike Dorian. Mike, thanks so much for the time this afternoon. Very well. How are you doing today, Joe? It is wonderful. And and not only that, it looks like sunny skies maybe for the weekend so people can actually get out and do some of that gardening. And you guys have a plan all your own. Talk about this lot and take us back maybe to the beginning and when you guys decided, hey, this might be an idea worth looking into. Yeah, so the, the city a couple years ago put a, a bid out on the, the website looking for uh, potential people to, to jump in on this to to put together some ideas of, of to take these vacant lots and to come in with a, a basically a design that's going to be sustainable and produce food and do community and, and be able to do a model that could be re- repeatable. So uh, we put in our bid and we won it, and, and it's been the, the journey of a lifetime going through all the, the, the paperwork and all that stuff back and forth with the city, but everything's gone through, and uh, 
everything was made official actually today. So what are you guys hoping to accomplish? How soon are you looking to accomplish it? So we're jumping on the land here uh, starting next week. Uh, so there'll be lots of uh, prep and bringing compost and soil and, and basically uh revising the soil a little bit. We're going to be doing a bunch of research and taking soil samples and looking at different ways that we can um, come into the site and look at brownfield remediation so that future farmers have a methodology of how they can test the soil, seeing what's going on to it, how they can fix it, and then start growing in it. So, yeah, we're going to be off to the races here right away, and we hope to have one of the first greenhouses set up within the first month here. Wow, and you're not uh, not wasting any time by any stretch of the imagination. But I was going to ask about the challenges that that lie ahead on that front because you want to be able to uh, bring the product out right away, but at the same time, you got to make sure all your T's are crossed and I's are dotted when it comes to even the safety of the soil. Exactly, and um, and I guess that's been the fun part because my background is doing the soil, so I know, I know, and that's kind of my expertise in coming into this team is. You know, we got to make sure that we get our soil prepped and ready and we and we know we've got a good product and, and working with the, the biology and the chemistry and the physical components of the soil, once we got that nailed, then we can start to move into the progression of, of growing really nice food and, and some good veggies. 15 acres is quite a bit of land for you to be able to work with. What do you envision in terms of the the actual landscape of that of that 15 acres? You, you, you mentioned the greenhouse, but what other kinds of amenities do you have in mind? Yeah, we're, um, we want to kind of be set up so we're going to have a bit of a commercial operation and then we're going to have more of a public operation. So there'll be a bit of a composting thing on site so that we can, because if you're going to grow food, you gotta you got to compost. That's just tit for tat. We're going to have a big community center slash greenhouse that we can um, have courses and people can come and use and put to, to use for courses and that kind of stuff and workshops. And then uh, we'll have, uh, in the long run, we'd like to have kind of an area that uh, can be used as almost like a farm stand or a way to, to help promote uh, some of the other urban farmers' projects and food, but also a way to sell uh, some of the food off the site as well. This has got to be a pretty big opportunity in your eyes, just given the fact that there has been so much more attention put on, you know, farm to fork initiatives and and that kind of thing. And this really plays into that whole notion of locally grown and locally consumed. Exactly. And and the more and more people keep getting educated on the benefits of local food and, and actually eating food that has nutrient value in it and how much healthier that makes us, I think that's really going to take things to the next level. And I think with this project, we're going to have a lot of opportunity to showcase people what can be grown here, but all kinds of different ways to do it, and then to test it and make sure that you're actually getting the food that you're trying to grow. Does this open up opportunities down the road as well for you in terms of going beyond just that one location and say, you know, you guys are in the southeast now, but hey, why don't we find a piece of land in the northwest as well? Exactly, and and the the city was pretty adamant on, on making sure that we come up with a model that can support itself, so... If we can take that and showcase that and make sure that it works, then it's a model that can be repeated. And, and you know, there's tons of soil or tons of land that they have that ain't doing anything. So if we can put it to use and, and benefit the, the local community, then everybody's laughing. Absolutely. Mike, thanks so much for the insight today and all the best as you guys uh, put the plans in place for 1920 Highland Crescent Southeast. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Joe.
Mike Dorian with the Compost Council of Canada. Again, a 15-acre site uh, with a partnership with the City of Calgary to turn that piece of land into an urban farm. So it'll be interesting to see how that thing develops. Uh, had love sharing stories like this one. Young boy, uh, autistic and nonverbal, finds something he loves, art. And it's all through New Heights School. Griffin and Claudine Adlington joining us now on the program. Uh, and Claudine, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for having us. Let's go back to the very beginning. And not the very, very beginning, but you guys moved to Calgary to uh, access the resources that were available for young Griffin here. Walk us through why you did that and what sort of led up to that decision. Yeah, Griffin wants you to know how old he is. First. How old are you? He is seven. All right. So, um, yeah, no, it's um, an interesting story for us and everybody's journey is different, but... Griffin was non-verbal and non-emoting at two. We were in his birthday party with 40 people in the room and he had zero awareness of anybody. Um, and so he was diagnosed shortly after. And um, I work in healthcare and uh, my husband was in finance and just through some simple research, realized that care for Griffin at age of two was free in Calgary, and it was tens of thousands of dollars in Ontario, something we didn't have. And um, as any parent, you do the best for your child. Mm -hmm. He needed support. Um, like I said, he was nonverbal. We knew that early intervention was key. And so we bet on Calgary and it completely came through. He's a normal chatty child, as you can hear, mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's very social and engaging. So we're very grateful for New Heights and for Calgary. Talk a little bit about this revelation known as art for Griffin and what kind of turned the light bulb on for him. So Griffin has always loved trains, cars, anything that goes fast and as most seven-year-olds do exactly <laughs> and uh, what we found was um he had a love for this this uh program called tim tim tv on youtube and he used to draw cars with his fingers on the carpet and he just wanted to recreate what he saw on this youtube channel but he wouldn't hold a pencil or a pen or a marker or anything for that matter. And we couldn't figure out why he couldn't write his name at six. And so we worked with his entire team, um, his teachers, his aides, everybody. And we leveraged this YouTube video that he was already naturally progressing to want to recreate on the floor with his finger on the mm. carpet to um, using a computer to draw. And since then, we found that his Sharpie markers and paper, a very specific type of paper, feels good on his skin. Right. And he just will do it all day long. It's okay. It's okay, right? We just make mistakes sometimes. It's good, right? That's what art is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Was there a eureka moment for you guys as parents when you realized, okay, this is the thing that he's going to gravitate towards? If only I had a picture of the art he would create on the carpet. <laughs> it's literally just as detailed as what he can do mm -hmm. on the computer or on paper. You can see emotion in their eyes. 
Um, and that's something for autistic kids. They have very um, different experiences in reading emotions on mm -hmm. our faces. Griffin learned by touching our faces to know if we were smiling or happy or what, what we were feeling at the moment. He could draw it. And right. that was sort of the eureka of, oh, he's getting this. This is yeah. all making sense. He knows what a happy car looks like versus, you know, a sad car or a car that's been in an accident. He was picking it up. Mm -hmm. So art um, is just something that he, he loves color. And when you start putting all these little pieces together, literally within two months of working this program, he was drawing the things that he's drawing now. No way. So, it's yeah. incredible to look at from, like, and he's so quick about it too. Like he knows exactly what he's got to do and he gets yeah. it done. Like it's, it's got to do a lot for his confidence, his self-esteem to be able to go, hey, here's something that A, I'm happy with, but B, it, you can tell it's impressing those around him as well. Yeah, I would never say that prior um, to to being at New Heights or being in Calgary, that Griffin was a social child. Mm -hmm. um, he was only two, still young, but just very much in his own world. And this drawing and the art, he'll talk about it. He'll open up about it. He'll explain what they're doing, what they're up to, you know, how they're racing, who's racing. To the point where he will come home from school and say, I was talking to my friends. And as a parent, you know, with a yeah. child with uh, autism, that's not a frequent occurrence to hear, you know, your child talk about friends. And he loves them. He loves to be able to engage with them. He's very social about it. So it's a big moment and it gives him a lot of confidence to be able to walk into a room like mm -hmm. he did and yeah. um, walk into chorus here and talk about, you know, his drawing and you can ask him anything you want and he'll discuss it. It's amazing when you think about autism and again, it's a spectrum, right? You have all kinds of different attitudes and different mannerisms and different personalities that all fall underneath the autism spectrum, and Griffin found something that keeps him calm, keeps him loving life, and and it's art. And Griffin, what are you what are you drawing right now? Jackson Storm. Jackson Storm. And what did you draw before you drew Jackson Storm? McQueen, Lightning McQueen, and it's bang on. Like he did that in about five minutes that he was here. It was, it's really incredible to watch him work, and he's he's so detail oriented that way, and just super duper focused. Like you can tell, he's he's enjoying himself. Yeah, he um, before we met you today, he was asking when he could start drawing. Right, it's um, everybody's got their thing. Some people turn on the TV. Some people go into the kitchen to cook. Some people, you know, do whatever they do, go for a run. Griffin draws, and mm. he draws Lightning McQueen, and he's very focused on that, and that's his relaxation, and it just you know makes him happy. Mm -hmm. Oh, finished wow. already. Good job. What does New Heights mean to you and your family? Oh, wow. Um, it's acceptance. It's a place where nobody thinks I'm crazy as a parent. <laughs> um, very understanding. That school from preschool up until Griffin's in grade one now has changed our life. We can do things as a family. I'm doing Cruz Ramirez. You're going to do Cruz Ramirez. Okay, I can't wait to see it. So we do things as a family. Um, we can go on adventures. They've helped us from an occupational therapist, from a psychologist, um, from speech therapy. They, he's got two teachers in the classroom at any given time. There's, you know, seven kids in the class. It, it's, oh, is there eight now? Excuse me, there's eight now. <laughs> 
That's right. So there's a lot of that、um, community, and the parents are all there. They, Griffin's younger, so I'm a younger mom, if、mm-hmm. you will. They can tell me what life will be like at puberty, at、right. graduation, which happens. We have five graduates this year, and we had an, a lot more last year. It's just, it's a school that changed our lives. Fantastic to hear. Claudine, thank you so much for sharing your story and thanks for、sure. having Griffin come in as well. Griffin, job well done. Thanks so much for coming in, buddy. Hi, Mr. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been called Mr. Joe before. That's kind of cool.、Uh, yeah, Griffin and Claudine Adlington,、uh, again, singing the praises of New Heights School. And, and Griffin, to his credit, like he's turned this into kind of like a business almost. Like he, he's able to, to make his art to make it available. And he's already promising that right off the bat, as soon as I, I met him,、uh, we were talking about how I might be able to get a piece of his art. That's pretty. Cool. It's just, again, amazing to see、uh, young kids、uh, being set on this course for success down the line. So great to meet、uh, Griffin. Wish I would have done a Facebook Live on that. That would have been fantastic. Something to think about for next time. You're listening to Calgary today on 770 CHQR. Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary today.